Threats to our nation waiting around every corner. Adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Don't die without embracing the daring adventure your life is meant to be. Steve Pavlina. Strong and silent is how you end up dead usually. Mm -hmm. Um, So just like let them know. Keep pushing. And then we end up getting to one of these informational signs on the side of this dirt road that we had been walking on. And they stopped to read it. I'm like, if I stop, like I'm stopping. Like I need to go. So I just kept walking. And I think they're pretty dehydrated at this point because they can't figure out what it's saying. It's pretty roughed up and stuff. And then I only make it like another 150 yards before I'm like, I just need to sit down for five minutes. So I just sit down. And that's when it's finally quiet enough to the point where I can hear ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. I can hear frogs. And I knew it was real, but I wasn't certain. But I took off and started running anyways. And they just see my headlamp just dashing across the desert. Like, ah, crap. (laughs) Chili Max lost it. He's gone insane. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freaking Muir Pod. Welcome to the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Lace up those boots and sling on the pack for a romp through trails, short and long. With your host and renaissance man, Doc, it's time to embrace the suck. Welcome back to another week on the trail. I'm Doc, and this is the John Freakin' Muir Pod. Let's start off with a reminder. If you are enjoying the podcast, take just a minute, help us out, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're not enjoying the pod, well, just go ahead and keep that to yourself. All right, let's get to this week's guest who has an extensive through hiking background and judging from our preliminary notes, might have some very interesting stories to tell. Welcome to the John Freaking Muir Pod, Matthew Morelli. How's it going, Matthew? Going really well. I'm happy to be here. Uh, yeah, how are you? I'm, I'm great. I'm great. It's, uh, we're recording here on a Thursday night. We're almost to the weekend. One more day and we're, and we're there. So I'm in a good mood. That's a good place to be. Yeah, the weekend, uh, you can get a lot done in two days. Mm-hmm. It, it never seems to be enough, but, you know, we, we have to make do. Yeah. And where, where are you calling in from tonight? Uh, just north of Atlanta. I'm at my parents' house at the moment. Uh, I have a move coming up starting tomorrow, kind of taking a whole week to move in, and then starting a new job up in North Carolina here really soon. So it's exciting stuff right now. Okay. And how did you come by this new job in North Carolina? uh blasting out emails (laughs) yeah uh just kind of email people i think might be interested in someone with my background and uh this one happened to work out pretty well so 
exciting stuff. Yeah. Well, congratulations. We wish you very well on the move. Thank you. Now, I know just looking at your, your hiking experience that you had to have picked up a trail name somewhere along the way. You've got a, you've got a couple of long trails under your belt, along with a whole lot of other experience. So uh, what is your trail name? Well, my trail name is Chili Mac, and it did not take all that extensive experience to get. It actually, I got it on night one on the AT. Um, yeah, so Chili Mac, if those who are uh, uninitiated, is a mountain house meal. But my dad had bought it in some weird non-mountain house uh, company that basically is like doomsday meals, um, <laughs> like doomsday prepper stuff. Uh, but North Metro Atlanta can get hit by tornadoes every now and then. So he wanted to have like a little food supply in the house. It's about to go bad. So we had this family size four person gigantic pack of chili mac. And he sent me out on the trail with that. And I ate all four servings, which is like uh, 180% of your daily fiber. And I had that in one sitting. <laughs> in one sitting. <laughs> yeah. So uh, you guys can imagine how many trips I made to the privy shortly after that. So um yeah every time i walk past or towards the privy i walk past these uh, three kids from south carolina and they would chant in pretty thick accents chili mac chili so yeah that stuck pretty quick the legend was born at that moment yeah. <laughs> did not take long nice now my son jukebox he had his own experience with chili mac out on the the john muir trail we were hiking yeah. with a buddy of ours named skids you can imagine why Skids uh, got his name. And he brought a whole bunch of homemade chili mac and he just got uh, tired of it and mm. said, I can't eat this anymore. And he offered it up to Jukebox and Jukebox made quick work of it. I think there's probably two or three servings in that pa- in that, in that bag, yeah. uh, similar to your story. And yeah, the rest is history. It was quite yeah. an experience for Jukebox. Yeah, start digging that cat hole early. Exactly. At least you, <laughs> at least you had a privy, right? So, I mean, the- yeah. 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 <laughs> that saved my butt, literally. <laughs> All right. Hey, have you listened to any of the episodes? Um, I've listened to a few. I just actually finished up uh, Captain Caveman, uh, his episode earlier today, and I've listened to uh, Two Taps. Both of them are personal friends of mine. So. Oh, really? Yeah. How, so, do, you, how, how do you know Captain Caveman and, and Two Taps? So I met Captain Caveman actually this summer on the CDT. Uh, we, well, actually, back up. I first ran into Captain Caveman in 2017. I remember him. He doesn't remember me. It's fine. Yeah. Um, we just very quick passing. Um, how do, how, what, then, what, does, what does that do to your ego? Well, you, you, oh, remember, you remember him shot. and he doesn't remember you. Well, he's a bit more memorable of a person, I think. You know, there's only so many people who go you know, long distance through hiking with one leg. Mm-hmm. Um, so <laughs> that stuck out to me. That's yeah, a fair point. The light bulb went off and I was like, oh, I've ran into you before. Yeah. Um, and then the second time I ran into him was actually when he was a Ridge Runner in the Smokies last year. And I was doing a backpacking trip for a weekend and ran into him. We started chatting and he said that or I said that I was going to be on the CDT this year. And he was like, oh, I'm going out there, too. And didn't really think much about it. But uh, then we ended up running into each other in Glacier. Um, and then. So I don't know if you heard much about the permit system in Glacier this past year and how wild it got for CDT hikers. No, like, let's so, hear it. Let's hear it. Uh, it's so, you know, the CDT up until this year, it's been two, three, maybe four dozen people total attempt a southbound hike. 
uh, this year, my best estimates probably three to 400. Um, so Glacier was just not prepared for it. Um, I have a buddy who decided to hike from uh, Butte, Montana up to the border and then come back down and finish off the rest of his Sobo hike. And he said he passed over 200 people and that's just people he saw on trail. So Glacier just was not prepared for this. Um, you know, you had to set specific campsites um, and permits were just insane. Some people were getting told they had to do like 35 mile days in the first few days of their trail. So what a lot of people end up doing is going northbound through Glacier and then coming back down, keep going south. So he had to do that. He was going northbound with his sister, who I also ran into when I was doing that spring hike. So we ran into each other there first and kept going south kind of for a good long while, uh, pretty much from Lander, Wyoming, all the way south. What do you attribute the the tremendous ups, uptick in southbound hikes on the CDT this past year? Well, COVID, obviously. That's the short answer. Um, then I think you get – there's – been a long backlog of people who've done the AT and the PCT who have just kind of been sitting on the CDT and then mm. they just kind of looked at it and like, well, this is the year. Um, so I think that was a lot of that. Uh, I'm one of those people guilty as charged, but my whole philosophy for doing the CDT first was, you know, it's the last wild trail. I wanted to get out there before it got tamed and busy with tons of people and well kind of missed my mark <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah so two years earlier it would have been a much more wild experience um and it still is wild there's no two ways around it but it's much busier than it has been in the past okay and how um, about uh how about two taps justin helm camp right so two taps yeah we're gonna i'm sure we're gonna cover a lot more of this but i did this wacky adventure hike uh, about okay. 500 mile loop in nevada southern oregon and the very northeast corner of california okay and uh the northern part of this loop is up uh on the oregon desert trail the odt um and there were some people that drove past us and recognized us as hikers and slammed on their brakes just about and turned around they're like where do you guys want to go and we're like we don't know that. Like, well, we live in Bend. It's like two and a half hours away. You can come like crash with us for a night or two and then we'll drive you back out to trail and like the really awesome young people and they picked us up, drove us into Bend and then turns out two taps was one of their roommates. <laughs> so yeah. And then he was on a CDT this year as well. And we crossed paths in the North part of the Tetons. So got to see him again there. Nice. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, since you've listened to a few episodes, you know about a segment we have towards the end of the episode called the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. That's where I'll turn to you and ask you to share a little bit of trail wisdom to make our next uh, experience, outdoor experience for our listeners even better. So don't be surprised when we get there. Yeah. Right. Uh, pro Tip of the Week, though. Yeah, I am pretty ready with one, I think. Okay. All right. Yeah. And don't be afraid to share pro tips, multiple pro tips as we, as we go through the episode. The, the, the pearls of wisdom should just be dripping off your lips with all your experience. I'll keep that in mind. Okay. Hey, another feature we've been doing this season is the Must Bring Gear Review, sponsored by the Ultralight Backpacking Gear Company Outdoor Vitals, and here's how it works. If you were to let a stranger pack your bag with pretty much generic gear for a multi-day hike, what is the one specific piece of gear you would insist on being packed? And if you've got a particular brand for that specific piece of gear, even better. So Chili Mac, what is your must bring piece of gear? So I actually have 
more than one answer. Um, people who follow along with me uh, probably know me as a photographer. So I'm going to answer you know, as a photographer first. Um, the one thing I have to have if I'm bringing my photography kit is the Peak Design capture clip. Uh, it's the V3 and I put it so it fits on a daisy chain, fits into the base plate of your camera and you just clip it on and it hangs out there and you can easily pop it out and take photos. The one thing I've really learned about cameras and, you know, in the backcountry is if you don't have access to it, you're not going to stop, take off your backpack, pull it out, frame the shot, do all that. You really need it right there. And, you know, the best moments, the best things to capture are around for two, maybe three seconds. So, so you got to hang it on your chest on the, on this clip. Yep. Right on the shoulder strap. Got it. It's I think 70 bucks is the best 70 bucks I ever invested in. I mean, it's never failed me and it's just an amazing piece of gear for anyone who wants to be a photographer. Okay. So you, you got the camera right there at the ready for any bear or moose encounters or uh, bizarre hikers. I mean, you can exactly. be able to capture that on film. Yep, exactly. It's like, it's just one thing that makes everything much easier and you get the shot, which is the important thing. Now you seem you sound like uh, a bit more sophisticated in your photography skills than me. I'm assuming that you don't have your iPhone hanging off your shoulder pad. What kind of camera do you bring with you out there? Um, so I carry a, a mirrorless camera uh, made by Nikon. Uh, basically, any mirrorless camera these days is going to be able to do most everything you need to. Um, in general, the bigger the better, which is unfortunate for backpacking, um, but. You know, it's one of those things where if I'm going to carry the extra weight of the camera, I'm going to carry the extra weight of a good camera. Um, so mine's like a full frame. I have a nice, good size lens on it that handles all sorts of different situations well. Um, it's going to end up being a pound no matter what. So if it makes it two to get the right shot, then I'll make it two. Okay. Um, yeah. So Nikon Z7 is what I shoot with specifically. Okay. And you said you said you had two pieces of must bring gear yeah so if we're talking strictly backpacking um you know forget the photography i think the backpack itself is the most important thing um that's the if i could have all other walmart gear and then one thing it's going to be the backpack um that's going to be a make or break for me definitely so i you know we'll cover this i'm sure uh i have a little bit of conflict of interest in this one because uh, i work with hyperlight mountain gear but I work with them because I do honestly believe in their gear and, you know, it's stuff that I've thoroughly tested and I thoroughly love. Uh, it's never failed me. Like their backpacks in particular have never failed me. They're just solid bomb proof, not technically ultralight, but like two pounds in an ounce. Ooh. Yeah. Um, so it's just, it's comfortable. It, carries weight well and yeah it's just it's the piece that i need i've never heard a cross word about hyperlight gear so it's uh it's it's yeah. well received it's well respected out there it's a it's a solid quality product uh what what is the capacity of your preferred backpack from hyperlight uh so i tell people if they want you know spend a little bit of money like it's not the cheapest thing in the world but it is kind of a one and done for 98 percent of everything you're going to do in north america or lower 48 at least, is the 3400 junction in black. And so what that means is 3400 cubic inches, uh, which is 55 liters of internal capacity. Uh, the black fabric actually ends up being a bit more durable. 
a little bit heavier, but it's a bit more durable. And, you know, if you keep it to within the 40 pound weight capacity that it's recommended for, it'll last you 4,000, 5,000 miles. It's a 34 ounce pack. So it's not truly ultralight, but you can do an ultralight weekend with it. You know, it's not going to break you to carry an extra half pound. Um, but at the same time, I've carried 60 pounds on my back with one. You know, we'll get into that a little bit about the Nevada trip. Um, it can carry skis on it. You can go mountaineering with it. And like that pack's been at the top of Everest. Um, so you can really do just about anything with that. And I don't think there's any other ultralight company that can say that. All right. Let me clarify. When you say it's been at the top of Everest, were you wearing that pack at the top of Everest? Not mine. Not okay. mine. All right. All right. So I'm <laughs> sure I didn't model. miss something that there. Model. Okay. Yeah. Got it. I have not been to Everest. <laughs> Yeah. That, that's one of your goals. I know. So yeah, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's a scary place. Now you mentioned yeah. 40 pounds, you mentioned 60 pounds, but typically on, on your, your AT and your CDT hike, what, what was your base weight? Well, so the AT, that was a weird one. Um, I was never a boy scout, but I definitely had a boy scout mentality. Um, so I started off with like 27 pound base weight, uh, on the AT. It was brutal. Uh, by 70 miles in, I think I was down four and a half pounds off that base weight and like stripped stuff real quick. Um, but for the most part, I didn't buy any like ultralight stuff. It was just kind of whatever I had around. So, uh, sounds, 21 sounds like, sounds like Walmart brand that you were, you were, well, it early. would be like, it'd be outdoor brands, but it'd be like not their ultralight stuff. It was right. like big Agnes's 20 degree that weighed a good bit more. So mm -hmm. yeah, it is, uh, not ultralight. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, you got the, you got the triangle of factors when you, when it comes to gear, you've got cost, you've got weight and you've got quality. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, if you don't want to spend a lot, then, you know, the, the weight goes up and, and maybe, or maybe the quality goes down or, yep. or both. And so you're constantly doing that juggling act. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of hard to move it. Well, I found you can, let's see, you can move the triangle, to different corners, but you can't really move the triangle itself. So, you know, you can move it, it can cost more and you can bring up durability and, you know, drop weight, but it just kind of ends up moving the entire triangle in one direction. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's the way to put it. Nice. All right. And then on the CDT, how did, how did it evolve? Uh, it went from 27 to, to what on the CDT? So I did the AT in 2017 and mm -hmm. learned an awful lot. Um, you know, by the time I got through summer on the AT, I got down to probably 13 or 14 pound base okay. weight, you know, once again, without any truly ultralight products. Um, and then come the CDT, uh, well, I went through a kind of an evolution where I went really hard on the ultralight side. So like 2018, 2019, I was like, if I can go six pounds, my base weight, I'm going to do it. And then I've had some pretty miserable times with six pound base weights. And I was like, that's not it. I'm not doing that for months. So come CDT, I think I was back up to about an 11 and a half, 12 pound base weight. Yeah. Which six, was, go ahead. Yeah. That was very comfortable. I was never yeah. uncomfortable about what I brought, which was nice. Yeah. That's just what I was going to say is that a six pound base weight is awesome to carry during the day, but you, you are going to definitely sacrifice some comfort uh, come camp time. Yeah. And, you know, that's fine for certain missions like weekend stuff, or if I'm just trying to move fast and, you know, the weather's looking great for the next mm -hmm. four days and that's all I'm going to be out for. Like I can deal with that, but yeah, it's not it for months on time in my opinion. Okay. Hey, I've got a segment now we're going to do called the hiking pole. 
and it's uh, not P O L E like the uh, the trekking pole instrument that you use. But it is P O L L like a survey. Thought that was a clever turn of, of phrase there. So now this is going to help me determine where you fall on the crazy scale from one to a hundred. Uh, one hundred being completely sane and uh, one being just absolutely bonkers. Okay. So no pressure here. I'm going to ask you six questions and we'll see how it, how it shakes out. All right. Okay. First one's easy. Trekking poles or no trekking poles? Trick question. Trekking pole. Oh, okay. One. Yeah. Um, yeah. I usually just end up hiking with one, uh, especially with photography. It makes it nice to have one hand open. And I find you can get 60 to 70% of what you need from two trekking poles just with one. So it's beneficial for, Snow, creek crossings, you know, huffing and puffing uphill. You can still get everything you need. Okay. So I thought you were going to have a conventional answer there and you did for a second. And then it, it kind of de-escalated <laughs> from conventional to a little unconventional. Okay. <laughs> Boots or trail runners? Um, trail runners, definitely. Uh, I actually, for whatever reason, I cannot wear boots. Um, it messes with my Achilles uh, heel, like right in the tendon area. Um my ankles hate it. Like my body just straight up rejects it. After three or four days, I can't walk anymore. And it's brutal. Okay. Um, and if you want to know about the real insane side of me, I sometimes just hike in sandals, uh, the bedrock sandals. So that, really sandals, yeah. you know, it's I'm, really great for have to adjust trails. that question for to, to boots, trail runners or sandals. Yeah. There's a whole uh, group of people that do that. My buddy Dine and Dash did the entire CDT in Chaco's. Yeah, I talked to I talked to Dine and Dash. He told me about the Chaco experience. Yeah. Yeah, he's something else. Yeah. Okay, that's a 10-point deduction right there. Sandals. <laughs> okay. Tent, tarp, or hammock? Uh anything but sleeping in the trees. Okay. Yeah. But you don't you don't no, have a preference? No hammocks. That's it. Yeah. Um, so I've done a lot of tarp camping in the past. Mm-hmm. And somewhere around middle of Colorado on the CDT, I'm like, a tent would be awfully nice. <laughs> so I think I'm leaning more and more towards tents, but I've got thousands of miles of, uh, of tarp backpacking under my belt. Okay. And do you have a specific, do you have a, a brand of tarp or do you have like a homemade tarp, do it yourself tarp? Um, I just got a set of uh, Hyperlights tarps and okay, yeah, of course, work. of course, you 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 work with Hyperlight, of course, yes. yeah. Uh, I use their eight by ten. I'm a long person, so mm -hmm. yeah, I gotta. It's nice to have that extra room. Um, and the flat tarps, like the eight by ten or the eight and a half, eight and a mm -hmm. half, are great because I set it up in half a dozen different ways depending on what I'm expecting out of the weather. Okay. That's a, that was my next question. Kind of a follow-up question for those people that pick tarp. Do you have a favorite uh, tarp pitch that you use? Yeah. So going back to the single trekking pole is it's not necessarily the best for tarps. Um, but what I figured out is uh, I carry a tripod with me oftentimes when I'm hiking or an umbrella. And with one of those, I can make a nice A-frame, you know, mm -hmm. straight down the middle. It's kind of like traditional tent. Um, that's great for 70% of the time. And then there's times where I'm expecting weather to be rough and I'll put my pole in the middle of long side and then just kind of have a single pole. So it just kind of goes out and then I'll have my umbrella or whatever, holding up the tarp on the outside and give me mm -hmm. extra breathing room. 
Um, that's always fun because you have to play the wind right. That's right. <laughs> um, yeah, I have. Well, my buddy has this really great photo of another buddy set up on a snow field in the Tetons right as a storm hit. And he had set up in that exact same thing, but in the wrong direction, like the same pitch. And it just acted like a parachute. I mean, it just caught. And there's a trekking pole just streaking through the image because it got turned into a spear and stakes are flying everywhere. So you if you do it wrong, definitely need, wrong. To, need to take into take the window in, into account. Yeah, sure. definitely. Now I've got a single trekking pole tarp pitch for you. One of my favorites. It is the asymmetrical Holden. So is that on the long side off to kind of one corner? Correct. Yeah, I, I do that sometimes. Yeah. Yeah. Not exactly the corner, maybe the the you know uh two the, feet back. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 That's a great pitch. Okay. Yeah, I love that one. Yeah. Do you use tarps? I have used tarps, yeah. Yeah. And yeah, what's your experience with that? I've I've gone I've gone back and forth. I've I've gone from you know tarp to tent to bivy. Uh, I spent a lot of time in a bivy on my last hike and the weather was not the best. And so I found myself confined to this, you know. Well, which bivy? Mummified coffin. It was an outdoor research. The helium? Helium, yeah. Yeah. I straight up almost died in one of those. Yeah. (laughs) I I, I zipped it all the way closed because it was like 15 degrees that night. And I'm like, oh, they did they would never design it so someone could suffocate in here. And I woke up gasping for air around two. Chili, Chili Mac, you and me, we are kindred spirits. (laughs) I we we had inclement weather on the on the trail this past summer and I zipped it all the way up and I said they would never design something where someone would suffocate. And I had the the same experience. Where you wake up and it's a panic. Yes. And you're like, I need to get out of here. Yeah. Yes. And then the next morning I'm reading the label on the inside and it says, do not zip all the way for suffocation. Why are we Why are we hiding that fact in, in on a small label inside? Yeah. I I couldn't believe it. I woke up and I was like, that was that's probably the closest I ever got to dying on the trail, honestly. Like, that was it. I was scared out of my mind. <laughs> you know, for almost dying on the trail, that's not that's not a real exciting story either. No, you wake up in a trash bag or you, you get found in a trash bag, basically. <laughs> basically. Yeah. Oh. All right. Uh, next question. Sleeping bag or quilt? So um, if we're talking through hiking, I'm always going to say quilt. Um, it's just makes the most sense. But if you're doing some true gnarly winter stuff, use a damn sleeping bag, you know, like. They're warmer. There's no two ways around it. Like if you're gonna be out at zero degrees, do not go out there with a quilt. Like you're gonna you're signing up for a bad time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just just because you're a side sleeper and it's zero degrees out, don't don't think that the quilt's gonna solve your problem. It's not it'll, it'll nope. solve your side sleeping problem, but it won't say it's, uh, solve your hypothermia problem. Yeah. Although there well, are the one- I mean, there are there are quilts rated down that low, but still, I mean zero degrees, that's uh, yeah. Well, like the one gear plug I'm going to put on this is uh, down pants, like synthetic pants. I use in light equipment, synthetic down pants. Oh, my God. They're the best thing if you're going to do winter stuff in a quilt. Like it's they're amazing. And plus, you get to sit around and camp and, you know, basically be wearing a sleeping bag. It's great. OK, <laughs> yeah. Wearing a sleeping <laughs> bag. Nice. Like a, a Snuggie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe that should be the question. Uh, sleeping bag, quilt or Snuggie. Yes. <laughs> uh, all right. This next question is is uh, crucial for your score here. So, stove, cold soak, or stoveless? So I've done it all. Um, I've dabbled. You know, you got to see what the dark side's about. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, the dark side sucks. 
Uh, <laughs> warm meals are the best. Um, so I carry a stove now. Uh, I have this. You can get stoves that are so small these days, and you know all the weight that you could be saving, like on stove and fuel, you're gonna end up having it in your food. Like almost always, the food ends up being heavier. Um, the times that I have gone stoveless, though, uh, I always use. Uh, there's a product from Bargo. It's a screw top titanium pot. Um, so you can cold soak in it and then you build a little fire and just stick your cold soaking jar onto the fire and you can have a hot meal by the end of the day. You don't have to carry the stove, get a hot meal. So that's kind of what I found to be a happy medium if I do decide to go that way. That requires though being able to find fuel for the fire, right? Yep. Yeah. yeah. So not recommended on these coast. Uh, you know, when I was in Nevada and there's sagebrush everywhere, like no problems. I made a little sagebrush fire every single night. Super easy to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that's going to be a specific situation where I would be willing to give up my stove. Okay. All right. And then I think you hinted, hinted at this one a little bit earlier, uh, the long trails in the U S the AT, the PCT, the CDT, should they be hiked northbound or southbound? Oh, should they be? Should they? What's your preference? Well, I so do you take, do you take a firm stance on this? Oh, uh, you're asking me to open a whole can of worms. <laughs> um, in my opinion, I think the AT should be a no-go hike. Okay. Um, and I got reasons for that. Okay. Um, first off, snow can be pretty, and you can plan ahead as to you know when the snow is going to hit when you're hiking through you know Georgia and North Carolina. Um, I recommend starting early, like March 1st. I started March 4th and I loved it. Um, depending on how warm it is that year and how fast you move, I didn't get leafed out until Shenandoah. So that means I had great views all the way through Virginia, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Georgia. Um, so I never got that green tunnel. I never had to deal with that you know, craziness. Um, it's, not, it's not snowed out. It's not uh, iced out. Yeah. It's leafed out like it. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then, uh, I mean, people refer to you know, Virginia as the green tunnel and mm-hmm. it's all you see is green. That would have driven me crazy. Um, so, you know, having those views is really helpful for morale and stuff, you know, going southbound, it can be great. Like I'm not trying to knock sofos, but I would rather not hike through like down leaves because like billions of leaves fall off the trees, you know, every year and end up on the trail. And then you're just waiting to snap an ankle. And I I have no doubt in my mind, there could be some really pretty times, but I really do think it's a no-go trail. Okay. Um, Yeah. As long as you can get ahead of the bubble, which is why I recommend starting early. And I'm, I'm anticipating a, a different opinion on the, on at least another trail. Um, Yeah. So the CDT, I really enjoyed Southbound. Um, you know, this might just be confirmation bias because I went Nobo on the AT and so on the P- or on the CDT. Um, but I really did enjoy it. Um, you know, the classic complaint about going southbound is you have to have your sun in your eyes all the time, which wasn't true until New Mexico. And then like it finally got low enough in the horizon where it spent a good two or three hours a day in my eyes, and that kind of sucked. But the benefits of doing it southbound are you get 800 miles of just cruise around the end where it's you're in New Mexico. There's no time limit. Basically you're through the worst of it. Um, 
you get all of the great aspens going through Colorado. I mean, I saw the first yellow turning aspen tree on my first day in Colorado and it only got better. And like in um, Silver City, New Mexico, there were still leaves turning. And that's like the second to last town. So you just get this fantastic long fall season, but you spend most of it above tree lines. So you don't have to deal with the leaf issue that I was talking about on the AT. Um, so I think it's a really great southbound trail. And then, yeah, PCT, which is one that I'm speaking a bit out of turn here because I haven't done it myself. It really seems like a flip-flop trail. Um, given the precariousness of the snow situation, you know, it could be absolutely nothing going on in the Sierras come you know, late May, or it could not melt off until halfway through June. Um, so that's a big kind of wishy-washy subject there. And then, of course, wildfires. So I think if you kind of have to start north of Sierra, head north, come back, and then hike south through the Sierra and finish off in the desert, that seems to be what is going to be the most doable thing in the future. Okay. Well, calculating up your score here, taking uh, an automatic 20 points off because you have done some long trails and that takes a certain level of crazy. I've got you <laughs> scoring in here at a solid 68. So congratulations. I'll take 68. That's, That's not 68. bad. Yeah. That's almost passing. It, it, well, technically it is. It is. Yeah. yeah nice D or something. <laughs> I D. Yes. Yeah. All right. Hey, uh, back up a little bit. Let's talk about your background, where you grew up, what kinds of sports and hobbies you played in high school and how you got involved in, in the through hiking cult. Cause any, any group of people that convinces you to be out in the dirt for months on end, sleeping on the ground has got to be a cult. Yeah. Uh, kind of a fun one though. Yeah, absolutely. I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's a, a certain mindset. Yeah. Um, well, so I guess we can start basically at the beginning, which was, uh, I was like two or three months old. My dad had me in a diaper just sitting in a Creek in North Georgia. Um, so started really young. Um, my first backpacking trip would have been, uh, as about 12 and there's this great photo of me with like these puffy cheeks. Cause I'm 12 years old and still got some kid fat on me and, jorts coming down past my ankles in nike shocks and a 50 pound backpack on my back and i just looked ridiculous um so that was my first backpacking trip and i hated it oh it was terrible turns out when you weigh like 90 pounds and you're carrying a 50 pound pack it's not that much fun <laughs> um <laughs> yeah uh i liked once we got to camp that was always nice but the actual activity of backpacking sucked um, and I would do a few more times throughout the years. Uh, my dad and I ended up hiking the Georgia section of the AT and several smaller sections. Um, we didn't, we knew of ultralight, but didn't really know how to get to it. Um, it just kind of seemed like this far off goal and slowly we started accumulating gear that was lighter, but not ultralight. Um, so yeah, that was kind of how that all progressed. And then when I was 16, uh, my dad and I did the northern half of the Smokies, so about 35 miles. Okay. And a lot, it's like 20-ish miles above 5,000 feet of elevation, and it's stunning. It is one of the best sections of the trail out there. Um, and that was the first time I went on a backpacking trip, and I was like, I like this. This is awesome. I can really do this. So, um, 
it progressed pretty quickly from there. I, uh, my senior trip in high school, uh, I had three buddies. Uh, all of us flew out to Seattle. Uh, we paid for, my aunt lives out there. We paid for her to rent a car for herself. And then we took her car. So we had four dudes all over six feet tall, all with like gigantic backpacks stuffed into a Prius. <laughs> I mean, it was it was a clown car to the max. Clown car for sure. Yeah, and we drove out to the Olympic Peninsula, and we did like a twelve day backpacking trip out there, and that just kind of blew my mind. But I mean, this is my first real West Coast, you know, backpacking trip. Um, we did like eight days on the beach, and another four days to go up to Mount Olympus, which is glaciated, looks like a miniature Rainier, and just stunning. Came back down, rainforests, and all sorts of crazy stuff. So yeah, that was another trip that really kind of solidified my like for backpacking. Um, but I even love, that, I love that your senior trip was, a, was a backpacking trip. That's, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Uh, it was, it's been in my blood, but even then I was like, you know, I've always like known about the Appalachian trail. Like, you know, it's taught in the Georgia school curriculum in middle school, like about the Appalachian trail. Um, so I knew it was a thing. I knew people through hiked it. And I thought they were all lunatics. <laughs> I'm like, that is crazy. Like, I have no desire to do that whatsoever. And so then my freshman year of college, I was at a, like, kind of a community college uh, state school in North Metro Atlanta. And it was Thanksgiving break. And I was like, I'm just going to go drive around the mountains for a bit. And just driving around. And I ended up at the parking lot to Springer, just kind of by happenstance. So I was like, I'll just hike on up to spring real quick and that'll be real cool. I'll have lunch up there and I'll drive home. Get up there, sit down, take like two bites of my sandwich that I had packed. And here comes the string of Sobos finishing their through hike. And I was just like blown away. I was like, I've never met a through hiker. Like this is really freaking cool. Like what a special moment. And I was just kind of shaking their hand, like just like blown away. And this little girl walks up to me and sticks out her hand and shake my hand. I'm like, cool. She came here to, you know, support her dad or brother or uncle or whoever's here. And uh, I just kind of go like, oh, G through hike too? And she goes, yeah. I'm like, how old are you? <laughs> She's like, 11. And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> and so I, she was the one that convinced me to through hike without ever telling me anything else. I was like, okay, if there's an 11 year old girl out here doing it, I should give it a shot at least. So um yeah, I went home and like kind of called my parents. I was like, I think I'm going to through hike the AT next year. And they were like, do it. This sounds great. So yeah, not that following spring, but a year from that, I started my uh, through hike. Now there's several different kinds of reactions they could have had when you said that, right? I've, I've heard all kinds of reactions on this show. And I ask, you know, how did you, how did your family respond when you went decided to go on the, the, the AT or the, the PCT and, uh, you know, there's been a range of reactions. That is the most supportive uh, reaction I've heard. Yeah. Uh, my mom loves to say, I don't know if it's compliment or I don't know what, but she always says that I marched the beat of my own drum. So um, she knew I wasn't going to necessarily be like three years of school or four years of school and out. Like I was going to have to go do something wild and kind of ridiculous. So this seems to fit me. And she was like, yeah, you'll only regret it if you don't try it. So yeah, they were extremely supportive, and I'm awfully thankful for that. Nice. Now, before we go to break, uh, tell us how you're paying the bills and financing your your adventures out there. What is what is this new job you're moving to North Carolina for? 
Um, so paying the bills, uh, in the past, it's just been saved. Like the AT was some savings. Um, and then the CDT, I was lucky enough to be working with Hyperlight. And so they paid for a fair portion of it, which was good because I was a broke college kid and there was mm-hmm. no other way I was going to be able to afford hiking it. So, um, photography, uh, in exchange for, uh, basically being able to through hike. Mm-hmm. Uh, turns out your expenses are super low when you're on trail. So, you know, what they would kind of pay normally for a single shoot would cover me for a month. Um, so that was kind of nice that I just had a steady income and I'd send them a steady amount of images. And, you know, it's really great when you could be at a bar in Wyoming with 10 other hikers, be like next rounds on hyperlight and, <laughs> and everyone loves hearing that. So, yeah. Nice. Is the job in North Carolina with hyperlight? Uh, no. So the job in North Carolina is, uh, with a company called black balsam outdoors. Um, they are actually owned by the same company that, or they're owned by the same person, uh, that owns, uh, mountain crossing, which is at Neil's gap on the Appalachian trail. It's the mm-hmm. only building on the entire AT. It's a really famous spot. It's where like a third of AT Nobos get off. Like, they quit the trail there. Uh, or by then I should say. Uh, so it's a really famous spot though. And it's got some phenomenal gear from some great companies. So I think it's be a really good fit to be working with, you know, a company that is that like historic and through hiking culture. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. Let's take a quick break. And when we get back, we're going to hear some stories from the trail. So stay tuned for that. We'll be right back. From the backcountry to the backyard, we believe everyone deserves the highest level of protection. Since 1984, Sawyer Products offers the best, most technologically advanced solutions for protection against sun, bugs, and water. Using time-released liposome technology, topical insect repellents, and new standards in water filtration. And with every Sawyer product you buy, you are helping to provide clean water through 140 charities in 80 countries with their long-lasting water filters. Every Sawyer product you buy is an investment in our common humanity. Choose Sawyer and keep the adventure going, knowing that their products have been tested and chosen by those who count on serious protection on the trail all day long. The John Freakin' Muirpod is sponsored by Outdoor Vitals, the ultralight backpacking gear company whose mission is to improve the mental, physical, and emotional health of mankind by facilitating impactful outdoor experiences. Outdoor Vitals creates innovative technical products with confidence inspiring education that empower outdoor ultralight adventurers. Their focus on performance enables you to live ultralight with gear you can actually be confident with. Whether you're looking for an ultralight sleep system, shelter, or pack, or if you're looking for top quality apparel for the trail, you can find it at Outdoor Vitals. Do yourself a favor. Live ultra light. Want to make a podcast? Spotify's got a platform that lets you make one super easily, then distribute it everywhere, and even earn money. All in one place, for free. It's called Spotify for Podcasters, and here's how it works. Spotify for Podcasters lets you record and edit podcasts right from your phone or computer. So no matter what your setup is like, you can start creating today. Then you can distribute your podcast to Spotify and everywhere else podcasts are heard. Video podcasts are also available on Spotify. With Spotify for Podcasters, you can earn money in a variety of ways, including ads and podcast subscriptions. 
And best of all, it's totally free with no catch. Since I discovered Spotify for podcasters, I feel like my creativity has raised to another level. I highly recommend you give it a try. Download the Spotify for podcasters app or go to www.spotify.com backslash podcasters to get started. And welcome back. We're talking to Chili Mac, and we're going to get into some stories here. We've heard a little bit about uh, your AT through hike already and kind of the inspiration behind it. Did you pick up the trail name of the uh, the 11-year-old girl that inspired you? So I did not, but uh, I was flipping through uh, Odie's yearbook, uh, the hiker yearbook, and mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure I found her. Uh, I forget her trail name now, but I mean, God, she'd, she's been in college at this point. Yeah. Yeah, just about. Um, so yeah, that would have been 2015. So above 2015. Um, but so if you were an 11 year old girl uh, southbound on the AT in 2015, uh, pause right pause the Apple pause the Apple podcast right now. Go to YouTube, take a look at Chili Mac here, and see if you recognize him from the top of Springer. Okay, and we're back. <laughs> You still with me, Chili Mac? Can you hear me? I'm here. Yeah, okay. I'm here. Okay. All right. So uh, what else stands out to you on your uh, your 2017 through-hike of the AT? How long did it take you? When did you start? When did you finish? Started March 4th, ended August 11th, I believe. Um, so 161 days Okay, is the total. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I timed it just about perfectly. I had one day of bad mosquitoes and... That was it. Oh, that's not bad. Yeah, it was great. It was really like 30 minutes bad mosquitoes. So I think it could have been better timed. Uh, yeah, it got real cold getting. I think it hit negative 15 wind chills one night, which was ridiculous, but stayed ahead of the bubble and just had a great time. The AT was a fantastic time. Now, this is your first foray into long distance hiking. What did you learn about yourself and what did you learn about through hiking? Um, Let's see what I learned about myself. Uh, I don't mind being in my own headspace a lot. Uh, I can spend literally a month at a time without really talking to people. I've done that before, which is a weird experience. Don't really recommend it. Um, but yeah, my headspace, I find that I'm pretty comfortable in. Uh, and then about through hiking is, you know, for newbies, I really suggest spending the first like thousand miles doing everything you can to get weight out of your pack streamlining it making it most efficient and then after that do whatever the hell you want like i carried a football for the second half of the at you know every time we got to a lake we would just go swimming and throw a football around and you know have a great time i carried hardback books on the at like nothing mattered it was great um i just really enjoyed myself and you know that's that's the only thing that really mattered so now you said we were you hiking solo when you started and you picked up some folks yeah. along the way or did you start out with the group? Yeah, I started solo um, yeah, and then just ended up picking up people all along the way. Uh, ended up finishing a group of six of us, I think, just a bunch of guys that were all kind of like-minded and similar pace and just all clicked really well. So mm-hmm. it was a good experience. Still keep in touch with them? Oh, definitely, yeah. We got a group chat. One of them just got engaged. One of them lives in Australia now. Another one lives in Scotland and kind of all over the world. So, 
You yeah. know what? You know what? I've, I've, I, I, I would like to say I've learned this, but I haven't. Uh, I, I, I would think that it's good to have a friend in in uh, Scotland and in New Zealand. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah I, I, Scotland is like really high up there on my list for places to go backpacking. So I need to pay him to visit. Nice. So you're out there for 167 days, you said? 61. 61. 161 days. The last couple of days, uh, you know, this whole trip, you got Katahdin in the distance, right? It's always, it's a far off place and uh, it's way off in the distance and you're going to get there eventually, but it's not not necessarily tomorrow. But with those last couple of days, you're closing in on it. What what kinds of thoughts are going through your head? And tell, tell me about the ascent up uh, Katahdin. Well, so Katahdin, actually, we got a really unique opportunity going up on top of uh, Mount Bigelow. We were actually able to see Katahdin from the top of Bigelow. It was a super clear day right at sunset. Clear as day way out there on the horizon was Katahdin. That's when it first started sinking in. Like, holy cow, it's coming to a close. Um, And then, you know, it was kind of like this golden hour heyday for the next several days. And even going up Katahdin, it's just like, it's just another mountain. And then, you know, people who've done it, they, you know, you get to the tablelands where it's flat for a while. And it was like, this is really cool up here. I'm loving this. Like, I just want to keep going and going. And you're around this corner and there's this stupid little sign up on top of the mountain that means that it's over. And uh, that sucked. Yeah, I, I cried <laughs> pretty good at that one. Um, yeah, I was not ready for that one to end. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, the CDT though, I was, I was ready. Yeah. 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 <laughs> was there some post-trail depression on the, after this, after the AT? Yeah. Big time. And I had no idea how to handle it. Um, because I'm a very upbeat, you know, pretty lively person usually. So that was a totally different experience than what I was used to. And uh, just a quick plug in for a book that I really enjoyed that I think helped me understand a lot of what I was going through is it's a book called tribe by Sebastian younger. Um, and he's a war correspondent. Uh, he spent time embedded in the, uh, what's what they call it. It was the forward most operating base in American history. So way in the middle of the mountains of Afghanistan, uh, this operating base would sometimes get attacked three times a day and like just all the time. And, there was almost like no mental illness within the facility as it's being attacked, like ever. It was really interesting. And then a lot of those guys went home and they experienced a lot of mental illness, PTSD, um, stuff like that. Uh, And he goes into a lot of different examples, like uh, when Britain was being bombed by the Nazis or America right after 9-11, there was this huge collectiveness and a huge drop in like, the PTSD and a lot of other stuff. And basically what it comes down to is humans were as a species designed to live in small bands of people, you know, no more than 50. They were highly mobile. They had a close knit relationship where they depended on each other. They lived for one of each other. They died for one of each other. And, you know, you experience that in warfare and honestly, to a great extent, you experience that in backpacking. So Going from that back to what society is here, that is what actually brings on a lot of trauma and PTSD. So this post-trail hike depression that people, or post-through hike depression that people talk about, it's a lot of the same trauma that 
without saying that <laughs> going to war is the same as through hiking because it obviously is not um a lot of that trauma is shared and so reading that book kind of opened my mind to that and that helped me process a lot of it okay how, how long did the funk last after the at about two years oh <laughs> yeah i got wow. it <laughs> i got it man <laughs> yeah ouch yeah yeah, um, there were several other factors that went sure. through it, but yeah, it lasted for a while where I just didn't feel quite, you know, myself. Like I had fulfilled anything that I needed to do, you know, pretty much since the AT. Uh-huh. So yeah, that was a long funk to be in. And okay, so let's let's, let's back away from the the hard stuff afterwards. Was there a favorite moment on the trail on the AT? Favorite moment. So when we saw Katahdin for the first time, I thought that was, it was a beautiful sunset and, uh, well, we got sunset and sunrise up there. So it was just gorgeous all the way through and just perfect mountaintop in Maine. So yeah, that was, that was a really good time. Nice. Now I understand you also had, uh, uh, an experience along the AT in 2018 that maybe revealed another side of, of AT um, trail life. Yeah. Um, so I worked at top Georgia hostel, um, which, you know, people who hiked in the area understand it's a little infamous, I guess. Uh, there's a guy who's running it, who is extremely passionate. He treated me very well. I mean, I think he's still a great guy. He gets very passionate, especially about his hostel. And so whenever, you know, people were being kind of dicks uh he would kind of freak out on them and it just didn't look good usually um so it's kind of known for me a little infamous but you know good guy good heart and um yeah it opened my mind or my eyes to seeing that there's a lot of entitlement in through hiking like community i mean a lot of it and the at is pretty bad in particular um you know and i think that's partially trail angels fault in a lot of ways. I mean, if you show up to every single trailhead in Georgia and you get free hot dogs, well, yeah, you're going to get pretty entitled pretty quick. And, you know, people go like, well, I'm a through hiker. I'm like, no, you're not. You're 70 miles in. <laughs> like you're attempting a through hike, but it's a little early to be saying that for a fact. Um, so yeah, that, that was kind of an unfortunate realization, but I think an important one. Um, cause I think it made me a better hiker and more responsible hiker. Um, and, you know, it helped me with dealing with a lot of those in, entitled individuals. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's definitely not a blanket statement, but it happens more than I would sure. have ever expected. Sure. Now, what, what were your job responsibilities at the top of Georgia hostel? Uh, everything under the sun. I mean, checking people in, cleaning bunks, uh, you know, helping with breakfast, uh, doing laundry, everything that was like that you'd expect out of a hostel. Um, driving the van around and doing shuttles and stuff. Yeah. Was a seasonal job go from what? March to March. Yeah. To March 1st to May 1st, just kind oh, of March, right through okay. the peak season. Oh, that's right. Yeah. yeah. You guys closed down before the Southbounders get there. Uh, no, they are open year round, but they just, it, it was just two of them that could usually run it just fine. But during that initial crush where they'll get 80 people in a day coming through there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. They need all hands on deck. So yeah, it was, it was a really, I think, great experience for me to be Mm -hmm. there. Okay. Well, tell us about the, uh, also in 2018, the greater Yellowstone Traverse. So, um, there's a group of guys I had met 
uh, I did a long trip out through Colorado in 2017, right after the trail and met a group of guys who were on the CDT going southbound, uh, finishing up their triple crown and, uh, ended up staying in touch with them. And they had decided to go back to the Yellowstone area, uh, to do what they envisioned something called the greater Yellowstone traverse. And the idea of this was to traverse the entire Yellowstone ecosystem from north to south. So basically starting up on the plains on the north side of the Beartooth Mountains in Montana and coming all the way down to the Yellowstone National Park and through the Tetons and Gravant and Wind River Range, about 500 miles. Um, and I saw that, they posted that, I was like, hey, <laughs> you guys remember me? Can I come along? And they were like, yeah, why not? So I hopped on that pretty luckily, and it was a really, really remarkable time. Um, I think it took about five weeks total. Uh, there's a good 50 miles of um, bushwhacking, you know, off-trail travel, and then we kind of capped it off with the Wind River High Route, which was just the most insane hiking I've ever done. And so was the, is the greater Yellowstone Traverse, is that an established route or that that's something they, they kind of came up with? Yeah. It's something they came up with. Wow. I okay. believe you can actually uh, like download the GPX file for it and retrace the steps. We tweaked it some because there was some of it where we were like, this is bullshit. No one should have to do this. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, we tweaked it some, but it's still a very easy thing to redo. Uh, it's a lot of connected trails. Yeah. But right. it really, it's a highlight tour. I mean, you see the best parts of, or some of the best parts of the Baratheons, uh, pretty much all the best parts of Yellowstone. And you go through like Old Faithful and uh, you pass right by, or pretty close to Grand Prismatic Springs. You go through Lamar River Valley, like all this great stuff. Um, and it takes you right down the spine of the Tetons. Uh, I actually ended up retracing a huge amount of this trail this past summer on the CDT. Um, like almost 400 miles of it. It's just because I knew it was there and I knew it was amazing. And so we went ahead and did it again. Now I, I hesitate to ask, but what is the, the most beautiful part of that traverse? I've heard so many great things about the wind river high route, but uh, you know, you throw in, you throw in Yellowstone, you throw in uh, other, other, you know, Tetons. I mean, it's, it's all gorgeous. Yeah. So the wind river high route would be the easy answer. Mm -hmm. um, but going a little bit deeper, uh, I really do love the Grovant range. Um, I don't know why, uh, uh it, it's very pretty mountains. Uh, I saw some of the best wildflowers in my entire life there. I mean, mind blowing wildflower, wildflower display. Um, but I really think the Baratooth mountains kind of, they're wild. Like they are true. You don't see anyone else out there really. Um, especially if you get up high, like, it, there's very little out there i mean it's grizzly bears and that's about it um so yeah, that was a pretty amazing experience pretty epic mm -hmm. and so you, i really like baratooths and you brought up grizzly bear i was gonna ask you know you when you're in yellowstone there's some big animals out there whether it's grizzly bear or moose did oh, yeah. you, you have any encounters on that trail uh well yeah we got a ton of bison um no bears uh and that was kind of it for the major animals. Um, there's some bice, there's some uh, elk and stuff like that. But I mean, the bulk of my wildlife viewing honestly came from the CDT. Like that spoiled me big time. 
Okay. Well, we'll get to that in just a, in just yeah. a second here. Let's uh, let's skip forward. Unless there's something else you want to you want to tell from from the Greater Yellowstone Traverse. Anything else? Um, no. Other than if you want to do 500 miles of something different, yes, not the yeah. Colorado Trail. Yes, uh, let's do that. Yeah, it's a pretty amazing way to spend some time. And you, there's ways where you can make it all on trail, and it's it's pretty epic. Okay. Well, let's jump forward then to 2020 and talk about the Gerlach. Gerlach to Gerlach I've got here, 500 miles, another 500-mile hike. Yeah, so we, uh, my buddy also came up with this. He lives out in – he's from kind of the Ashland area – or lived in the Ashland area mm-hmm. of Oregon. Um, and we ended up – we had a bunch of different names thrown around for this one, but we just kind of ended up with some shit in Nevada uh, as being the unofficial name for it. Um, so basically he made a trip out to Gerlach one time, which, uh, those of you who are not familiar with Gerlach, it's an hour and a half North of Reno, Nevada. And it is basically the site of Burning Man, the crazy festival that happened in the middle of the playa. It's, it looks like the salt flats from Bonneville salt flats. Uh That's where we started our hike. (laughs) Kind of a desolate place. Um, uh, so he designed this 500 mile route that kind of circled all the way back and uh, it hit a lot of different unique features um, that probably no one else has backpacked on. Um, there very well uh, could have been some you know, native populations that moved through a similar cycle like we did, but you know, probably very few white people have done anything similar to that. Um, so that we ended up having to drive most of this route beforehand and bury different caches along the way. So we ended up, when I was walking out of Gerlach, Nevada, uh, starting it off, I had, I think it was a nine pound base weight, 13 pounds camera gear. Because <laughs> uh, we were trying to make a little film and document it really well. Uh, nine days of food and nine liters of water so it ended up being about 60 pounds total wow uh, it was it was a crushing load and it was like a huge windstorm and all this other crazy stuff so yeah it was uh it was a pretty wild time uh we ended up making it pretty far that first day we got to our water cache that we had buried and dug it up and you know of course we buried like some pacificos or so sitting out in the desert drinking beer just having a great time and, yeah, and from there we kind of did a bunch of um, island hopping uh, up north, and it would be 80, 90 miles from one town to the next. Or sorry, not 80, 90. It'd be like 200 miles from one town to the next, and each town would be like 30 people. I mean, this is the middle of nowhere. Like, it, hard to comprehend how the middle of nowhere we were. Um, and so we end up kind of going northeast up to uh, where we can link up with the Oregon Desert Trail, which uh, are you familiar with the Oregon Desert Trail much? I, I've heard of it a few times, and it always strikes me as just bizarre that there's a desert in Oregon. Because when you think of Oregon, you think in the Pacific Northwest, you don't think of deserts, but uh, it, I've confirmed there is a desert up there. Oh, it's, it's the, it's most the, eastern, of the state. eastern part of Oregon. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. it's a huge chunk of the state and it is desolate. Uh, there's not a whole lot going on. And the Oregon Desert Trail is actually a misname. It is not a trail. It is a vague idea at best. Um, <laughs> Just a general I mean, direction. 
Yeah, exactly. It's like go from this mountain to the next mountain. You're like, cool. Um, so yeah, we hooked hooked up with that, which is great because water sources were, you know, we actually knew what the water sources were going to be along that section, more or less. Um, so we ended up being on that for about 250 miles and then we hopped off again and come back south and east back towards Gerlach. And we did that um, going down the very uh, northeast corner of California has this magnificent mountain range called the Warners. And it was about 100 miles long. I think it's actually like a, it's some sort of national trail that runs the kind of spine of that. So we hopped on that and came back down and it was just, it was really beautiful. I mean, it was weird though, because we were like just coming from the desert and we get to this mountain range, which is clearly glaciated. It had been not too long ago, swimming glacial lakes, and we can see Mount Shasta out in the distance, like this giant snow capped volcano. And it's just a really weird place to be in, but it was really, really pretty. And, you know, I wouldn't recommend ever doing that trail, that route, but I'm really glad that I did. It is, uh, it is, the most wild hiking I've ever done. That's for sure. Lots of type two fun. Yeah. Yeah. Lots of type two fun, uh, heavy packs and long water carries. Okay. And then from there, you just circled back to, to Gerlach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the idea was to spend as much time as possible up high. Uh, cause if there was going to be water, that's probably where it was going to be. And starting off, I was really skeptical about how much water there was going to be, but we, as we progressed on trail, we got better skills at finding water and identifying which draws are probably going to have water and where. And by the end of it, I was pretty comfortable like navigating the desert, which was a cool frame of mind to get into. Now, how many guys were out there with you? Uh, just two other. Um, so my buddy sticks, uh, he's the one who came up with it. I met him actually on the wind river high route section of, uh, the GYT and he did that section with me. And so I linked up with him because once again, I saw on Instagram that he had this stupid idea and I was like, yo, that sounds terrible. I want to, I want in. And he was like, it's going to be really bad. I'm like, perfect. Let's go. So, yeah. Um, he was the one who came up with it, and then he did the PCT in, I guess, 2019. And one of his buddies from the PCT was the other guy who came along. Uh, his name is Janice Joplin. And so the three of us were just out there doing ridiculous stuff in the desert. Chili Max Sticks and Janice Joplin sounds like a uh, an off-off-Broadway musical. <laughs> yeah, it was a little more of a... a Kind of Edward Abbey meets uh, meets uh, Hunter S. Thompson. Oh, so that, that, that was that's kind of the something. Vibe. That, yeah, that's, that was that's the vibe a vibe. That yeah. is a vibe. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty wild out there. I got to write that down. That's good stuff. <laughs> All right. Uh, hey, was there any at any point out there where the three of you looking at each other going like, what are we doing out here? What have we gotten ourselves into? <laughs> yeah. Um, Trying to think about which ones in particular. Well, let's start with uh, the night I almost died. That'd be a good one. Um, (laughs) Good place to start. Um, So we had probably camped illegally. We're not sure. Might have been on someone's land. 
kind of up in the air. There's a lot of uh, Bureau of Land Management, the other BLM, um, a lot of their land out there. It's like half the state of Nevada is BLM land. Um, so you're allowed to put a barbed wire on a place you have claim to, but it's still public domain. Like people can go into it. Um, so we weren't sure if it was actually someone's private land or BLM land. Um, but we slept there and there was a spring there and we were drinking that and we were planning on going like two miles to get to like the next water source and fill up there real quick and then do this long push, like 25 miles to this lake. Um, and so I had like a half liter of water. So I'm like, that's plenty to get me the two miles to the next water source. And so we get to the next water source and we're looking at the map. We're like, oh, it's like three quarters of a mile off, like down this road to get to this lake and then back up. And we're like, let's not do that. It's only four more miles to get this other water source. We get there, no water source. We're like, oh, it's only two more miles to the next one. We get there, no water source. At this point, it's like, we're not going back. We had gone through hell getting through this canyon. Um, they, uh, it was a terrible canyon. Uh, no trails through it whatsoever. And like head height sagebrush at times and boulders and rattlesnakes. And we're like, I'll be damned if I'm going back. So we kept pushing forward and we're like, we just know we have to get to this next water source, which is this large lake. Um, there's something called the Desert Trail, which like I think two people have ever done. It's another Mexico to Canada route uh, corridor, which it's Arizona trail North uh, all the way up through like the Washington desert. And so this guy had done it in 2017 and his notes said that this lake was reliable. So we took it as such and we crest over this hill to look over the lake and nothing. It's just barren, like dust storms going on out there. And at this point, the sun is setting you see some muddy patches down there that like might have water. And I just come running down there and I'm digging with my trowel trying to get water like to come. It's just mud. Um, and so at this point, we're kind of like, this is bad. Um, we, we had like SOS button that we could hit and we could have been picked up within two, maybe four hours at most. But we're like seven miles away. We know for a fact there is a spring. Like it was going to be off our route, but we were just going to do it. So, um, Actually, I think it was like 10 miles away. So we, we uh, started booking it. Sun's going down. It gets totally dark. I've had half a liter of water. Oh, actually, let me back up. I started with half a liter of water. Halfway through that hellacious canyon I was telling you about. Mm-hmm. Underneath a rock, there, there's no trails anywhere. Underneath a rock is this bag, this blue bag with about a half liter of water in it. I don't know where it came from. Uh, maybe a big sheep or a bighorn sheep hunter had left it or there's no other reason to go back there like at all. So I had that half liter. So this entire day of desert hiking, one liter of water. Um, and then, yeah, sunsets, we're booking as fast as we can to get to this spot. My buddy does one of these where he feels all his pockets and realizes he left his phone back at the mud pits like two miles back and we're like screw that dude we're about to die <laughs> so he's like yeah true i'll just leave the phone so he leaves the phone we keep going and uh i start losing it i mean like wheels start falling off 
I'm not moving that fast. I'm falling behind. Um, you know, they're keeping an eye on me, but they're trying to have me push the pace. And every so often, there'd be this bright red flash where the entire sky would turn bright red. And it would last for half a second, maybe a second, and then it would go back to normal. And I'm like, okay, cool. So now I'm hallucinating <laughs> just from total dehydration. And you know, Is that I what it was? Uh, that's the only thing I can think of because yeah. uh, they never saw it. They, okay. They talking to them. All right. I was like, did you guys see the sky turn red? And they were like, no. I'm like, okay, so I'm losing it. Just a heads up. I want you guys to be like in the know because, you know, strong and silent is how you end up dead usually. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just like, let them know, keep pushing. And then we end up getting to one of these informational signs on the side of this dirt road that we had been walking on and they stopped to read it. I'm like, if I stop, like I'm stopping, like I need to go. So I just kept walking. And I think they're pretty dehydrated at this point because they can't figure out what it's saying. It's pretty roughed up and stuff. And then I only make it like another 150 yards before I'm like, I just need to sit down for five minutes. So I just sit down and that's when it's finally quiet enough to the point where I can hear ribbit, ribbit, ribbit. I can hear frogs. And I knew it was real, but I wasn't certain, <laughs> but I took off and started running anyways. And they just see my headlamp just dashing across the desert. And they're like, ah, crap. <laughs> Chili Max lost it. He's gone insane. Um, and then I sure enough, I come running up and there's this spring coming out of the desert and it's water. So yeah, we ended up drinking there. And next morning we woke up, uh, to a truck driving past us and they stopped to like, see if we were okay. Cause they're not used to seeing people just wandering around without a vehicle out there. And we're like, yeah, but can you drive us, you know, back to this place where my buddy dropped his phone and they were like, sure. So he ended up getting his phone back, which is awesome. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then they told us like, by the way, those springs that you're drinking out of, I wouldn't drink a lot of that water. And we're like, why? We're like, oh, it's got a fair amount of arsenic in it. And we're like, <laughs> we're like that's not good. Yeah, this is not good at all. But water was water at that point. I don't seem to have any bad effects from it. None that have surfaced yet. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so yeah. there's no there's no really defined trail out there. Are you doing a lot of wayfinding? Oh, that's all that it was. There's no yeah. trail at all. There's no hiking trails. I mean, like the Oregon Desert Trail was the closest thing we had until we got to like that mountain range 300 miles in. Right. So the first 300 miles was basically just bushwhacking. Now, how big is this spring that you guys found? How big around? It was flowing. Like it was, it was going well. I mean, it had a nice long stream coming out of it that went a little ways. And okay. Uh, it was good 10 inches deep and flowing well. I mean, so a lot of that area out there is uh, like the, where we started in Gerlach that had like the salt flat looking things. Mm-hmm. That's actually the floor of an ancient lake bed. Uh, this lake was called Lake Lahotan and it was massive. I mean, like uh, Salt Lake is the remains of, I believe, Lake Lahotan. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it used to be this huge thing that covered most of Nevada a good portion of Oregon and into Utah even. And it was really huge. Um, So these springs used to feed into it. Um, But, you know, obviously they got isolated um, over the years. And really interestingly, in some of those springs are purely endemic fish species where they only exist in certain pools of those springs. Because some of them are hot. Uh, It's a fairly um, geothermic area. 
So some of those hot springs, like you'll have really hot water in this upper spring that has this specific species of fish. And then mm-hmm. the next spring down is a little bit cooler and it has this specific species of fish. That's wild. Yeah. And they just got isolated there because there's no inlet or outlet. This lake evaporated away and it just left this little pocket of fish in these specific pools. Yeah. So it was a really cool area. It's crazy. You got to make sure you filter those out before you drink them though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Added protein. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The uh, Endangered Species Act would like to have a word with me if I did that. Well, that sounds like a pretty wild trip. Is it safe to say that uh, you and these two two guys, Sticks and Janice Joplin, you're the only ones that have done this loop? Oh, yeah, definitely. Um, like beyond the shadow of a doubt. Um, I'm sure some like there's a, a, some people that work with uh, Palante Packs did a great basin route of some sort. I'm not sure what exactly it all entailed. Mm-hmm. But it was different from this, I know. Um, but similar hiking. Yeah. So you've got at least one FKT under your belt then. Technically. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's the, yeah. it's the OKT. It's the only known time. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. One and done. I don't think anyone else <laughs> wants to do it. All right. And this past year uh, where I discovered you, I, I found you on Instagram from all your fantastic posts on the, the continental divide trail. And uh, you, you referenced some big animal encounters. Uh, what would you run into? Well, let's see. Let me pull up these notes real quick because it's a pretty good long list. Um, let's see. All right, here it is. So these are kind of just like the more um, you know animated animals I saw out there, like the big ones, the okay. charismatic ones. That's that's what I was looking for. So I saw thirty-two moose, sixty-eight elk, fifty-five white-tailed deer. 68 mule deer, 17 bighorn, 33 mountain goat, 200 plus pronghorn, hundreds if not thousands of bison, two wolves, three coyotes, two fox, three grizzly bears, three black bears, one wolverine, four badgers, one porcupine, about seven dozen sandhill cranes, and uh, seven bald eagles. Holy smokes. Now, I, I, I'm not sure which is more impressive, that list of, you know, just the sheer number of, of wildlife encounters or the fact that you counted them all. Well, I mean, it'd be pretty easy. You'd see, you know, three of whatever species, and I would just type that in real quick and add it up. And it ended up being pretty impressive over time. I think if a lot of other people in CDT had done something similar, they would have got some pretty impressive animal counts mm-hmm. out there. And you said um, hundreds, if not thousands of bison. Yeah. Which is actually one of the reasons why the greater Yellowstone traverse kind of happened into existence. When those guys run the CDT themselves, they didn't see a single bison when they went through Yellowstone. They, that was just the one thing they were really looking forward to. They were so upset that they didn't get to see bison. So they were like, we're going to put this route smack dab in the middle of bison country. And so on this route, this version of the CDT that I did, um, I put straight back in that area and uh, we saw so many bison. I mean, it was hundreds, if not thousands. Yeah. That, that is cool. I have to tell you my bison story, uh, you know, being out here in Southern California, there is a, there's an Island off the coast. You heard of it, Catalina? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, once upon a time, they want to shoot a, a Western on Catalina back in the fifties, I think maybe the forties, fifties, fifties had to be fifties. And so for the Western, they thought it'd be a good idea to, to take some bison over there. So they, 
took a bunch of bison over there and they filmed the movie and believe it or not, the bison didn't actually even appear in the film. They didn't, they, they got left on the cutting room floor, but when they finished, they finished shooting over there, they said, you know what? It's too expensive to, to bring the bison back. So we're just going to leave them there. So there is a herd of bison on, on Catalina Island off the coast of Southern California. And there's a trail, the trans Catalina trail, which is about 38 miles. It's really cool. It's, it's a lot of fun to do. You've got these incredible views. You've got these ocean views. You've got the inner Island where you feel like you're, you know, there's no ocean anywhere because you're in the center of the Island. And along the way, you, you will see the occasional, the occasional bison. And we actually had one come through our camp one morning. Uh, it, they are large, large animals and there are signs oh, yeah. everywhere. Signs everywhere saying, don't, you know, don't, don't get closer than 80 feet to, to a bison. But, you know, unfortunately the bison don't know how to read and they, they got a lot closer to us. So. Yeah. That happens pretty often. Yeah. The size of them, like it's, it's really hard to tell people. I mean, their heads are like the size of a full grown man, just about like, right. Huge. Um, my, one of my fun stories I tell people about how like big and powerful they are is uh, I lived out of a van for a while and I was in South Dakota and I had stayed the night in my van and uh, woke up in the morning and my entire van is just rocking. I mean, violently, just shaking. And I have no idea what the hell is going on. Because technically, well, I got a backcountry permit to go into the backcountry, but I ended up getting to the trailhead at like seven o'clock at night. And I was just like, I'm not doing it. Like, I'm just going to sleep in my van real quick. It was not technically allowed, but no harm, no foul, I guess. Um, so I was like, park ranger. There's a park ranger outside. And I opened my big peek out the uh, window real quick. And there's just a bison scratching his head. Just with his head, he is making my 6,000-pound van just get thrown around. Is, they're insanely powerful. Wow. Yeah, that's a, a lot of power uh, in that animal. Now, I have to ask... Uh, Chili Mac, you did the AT in 2017. You did the, the CDT in 2021. Uh, any interest in becoming a triple crowner? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, uh, I think that's going to happen. Well, you know, I just got a stable job for once, so maybe not too soon, but it's going to happen. Uh, I, the idea in my head is to do it in 100 days. Um, so that's going to be a fun goal to try and chase because – I haven't really tried to go fast on my previous long trail attempts um, or my three hikes. Um, mm -hmm. So that'd be 20, another 20, 26 miles a day. Yeah. Roughly. Can, you, can you average that for, for hundred yeah. days? Uh, if I have a lighter pack and don't carry a crazy amount of camera gear. Yeah. On um, the CDT, I started off with, you know, my normal setup, two other ones is, and a tripod and it was just, it was a bit much. So, mm -hmm. you know, strip it down a bit, carry the right gear and, I eat a lot of food. I mean, like a lot of food, it's heavy. Uh, so I'd have to figure that one out a little bit, but, um, so I think it's definitely doable, especially on a trail, like the PCT. What's your go-to food on the trail? What's, what's the best meal out there? Uh, I'm a sucker for ramen bombs. <laughs> I mean, if you want to get a thousand calories in your gut as fast as possible, it's hard to beat a ramen bomb. So ramen, um, ramen and mashed potatoes. Yeah. And then I usually throw in a packet of, uh, the Walmart chicken. It's just good protein. Mm -hmm. and, yeah. So between that and then like a sleeve of Oreos, like you're looking at like 14, 1500 calories. That'll do you. Yeah. 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 Pretty quick. Yeah. 
Okay. Hey, Chili Mac, you know where we are? Is this the Pro Insight? That's right. This is the Pro Tip Insight of the Week. What bit of trail wisdom do you have to share with our listeners to make their next outdoor experience even better? So um, I'm not always ultralight. Uh, that's an important thing to get to. But the reason I bring that up is I really enjoy carrying, um, I think it's called Espit is the company name, E-S-B-I-T. Um, they, they make a stove product that it's you have this solid fuel block and you light that on fire and you can cook on it. I don't use it for that purpose. I use it as a fire starter. There is nothing that can turn around a day quite like a fire can. You know, you have the most miserable time, let's say on the AT, it's been raining for the last four days. It's 40 degrees out and you would just like to put on some dry shoes in the morning. That sounds great. And you roll up to the shelter and there's a pile of, you know, somewhat wet wood. It's going to be hard to start if you don't have something like that. I love carrying just two of those, three of those, you know, for a long section of trail. You never know when it's going to be really nice to have. It'll turn around a day faster than anything else will. Campfires are magical. Yes. They make everything better. Yeah. Uh, and I'm definitely a fire guy. I mean, like it's dangerous because I'll make morning fires and then no one leaves camp till like 10 a.m. <laughs> <laughs> Got to watch till it's down. Yeah. Nice. All right. So there you have it. That's it. This episode is just about in the books. Hope our listeners enjoyed our time with Chili Mac. I want to thank him for joining us this week. Chili Mac, how can our listeners keep up with you on social media and where can they find updates on your latest adventures? So Instagram is definitely the best place to find me. And it's really easy. Um, where the hell is Matt? Uh, it's what people ask me all the time. So figured it might as well be my Instagram handle. Um, so yeah, where the hell is Matt on Instagram? And you'll be able to find probably links to uh, my website from my bio on there. So I got I'm working on putting together a CDT gallery. So hopefully that'll be coming out in the next couple of weeks. Fantastic. All right. Remember to check out the pod on social media as well. We are on Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok. No TikTok, Chili Mac? No TikTok for me. Okay. That's all right. I'm not going to judge. And if you have comments or clips you want to share, you can send it to me at johnfreakamir at gmail.com. Chili Mac, I'm also looking to you to share a recommendation for a book, a movie, documentary, some kind of adventure media to keep our listeners connected to the trail during the off season. What do you have for us? We call us our adventure media recommendation. Well, I had one plan originally, but I'm going to put two now because uh, bringing up Bison reminded me of this. Um, another really, really great book and the audiobook. I, I spend too much time walking and driving to really, you know, read. Uh, so I do a lot of audiobooks, um, and I love audiobooks that are by the author. Um, so if you want to learn more than you would ever expect to learn about bison, there's a book called America Buffalo, American Buffalo by Stephen Ranella. And it's nerdy and it's fascinating. Like, it is really cool the things that you'll learn about bison. Um, so there's including... an entire, there's an entire book just about bison. Yeah. And it's amazing. Okay. It's really well done. Um, right. and you'll even figure out why he calls them Buffalo instead of bison. So okay. that's, that's one of the things they cover in the book. Okay. Um, but the one that I had originally come up with was the movie 180 degrees South. Um, it is, it used to be on Netflix. I think it got taken off at some point, like 2018. It's like a third, the reason why I started exploring. It's just a really well done documentary about people doing some amazing things. It's got, 
surfing, fly fishing, sailing, mountain climbing, everything that you could dream about doing an epic adventure down to South America. Yep. And it's really well done. Have you seen it? Yes, I have. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. And the soundtrack's amazing too. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, so that's a really good, that, that inspired me an awful amount. And I'll throw one more out there because we were talking about uh, northbound or southbound on the long trails and you had mentioned flip-flopping on uh, the PCT and I was thinking about a southbound on the uh, the PCT in a documentary that I saw about a southbound trip uh, by these two guys during winter that had never been successfully completed before. It had been attempted and they found the dead bodies uh, of those folks uh, uh, after the snow the snow melted. This was back kind of mid mid 20th century maybe or or, or maybe 70s, uh, but there was a successful southbound winter hike of the PCT and is documented in a, uh, a great, great show uh, documentary called sand, no snow to sand, snow to sand. I like that. It's a crazy no, story. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. I bet that's, that's an impressive feat. Okay. Now, before we wrap things up, I've got one more segment for you called, what have I not asked you that you're dying to tell us about? What do we miss? Uh, big news about my dad. He, um, was actually supposed to start the Appalachian Trail today, but the weather looks terrible for the next like two or three days. So he's going to be starting his own through hike, the AT, come Sunday. So um, I'm really stoked that, you know, I got a family member who's kind of following in like my footsteps a little bit. It feels nice. Like it's a weird reversal of roles from what you would expect. But yeah, he's, <laughs> yeah we've, uh, come, he's, we've, we've come full circle here. Yeah, he's really excited to get out there. I'm really excited for him. I think he's going to have a great time and, you know, yeah, we had mentioned crossed, everything goes well for him. We had mentioned early on about how supportive your parents were of your AT through hike. And here we are, what, seven years later? Yeah. And he is he is undertaking this uh challenge for himself. Yeah, uh he's stoked and I'm stoked, and I think he's gonna have a great time out there. So if you guys see Big Mac out there, say what's up. <laughs> is that his trail name? Yeah, so he's keeping the family name, I guess. Chili Mac, Big Mac. What's what's mom? Uh, I don't think she wants to go by Mac. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hey, that's a wrap from the John Freaking Mirror Studio. Any shout outs to friends and family, Matt? Uh, well, my dad, obviously, and then my mom as well. Uh, there's, it's a long list of people that I could shout out beyond that. I guess I'll give Ramen a quick shout out. He's the one person I've ever done a full through hike with. So he did the CDT with me this year, never met each other before we started and ended up being best friends by the end. So yeah, pretty awesome stuff. Fantastic. Well, thank you for tuning in. Always remember the trail is the trail. It doesn't care if you want to go downhill, doesn't care if it's almost dark and you're looking for a campsite. It doesn't even care if you've almost suffocated in your bivy the night before the trail is the trail embrace the suck. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.